0: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Hello, everyone. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. So like most successful professionals who did what they were supposed to do, I was a a kid who got good grades in school, uh, in high school, went to college, Got good grades in college and then try to figure out what to do with my life. Um, but part of that decision was not really trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, but rather sort of choosing from multiple choice of things that people along that path do. Was it to go to law school, to go to medical school? Was it to go to business school? To me, that's all there really was. And, and frankly, for many of the high achieving out there, as you know, this is what we all thought. There really wasn't any other choice for us to truly consider. And it's, it's ironic because I came from a family, um, where my dad, uh, was and continues to be, uh, a true entrepreneur. His focus has been real estate for the last 40 years or more uh even though he was trained as an engineer. Uh He came to this country in the late 60s, and as a professional, he was granted all the scholarships he needed to be here, etc. But when he got to the U.S., he noted that there was great opportunity out there. A lot of times that people who grow up in this country don't really see anymore. He noticed that there was really no bounds to what he could do and what he could accomplish in this country. And so he decided after some experimentation with real estate that that was the way for him to go. And so he's been doing that for 40 years and has lived what we would call the American dream. But nevertheless, it really didn't affect me because I was a child of privilege. My father always made a great living and I went to private school and Really, I just thought about what every other kid in private school did, which was to go to school, get good grades, go to college and get a good job. And that was um, almost self-inflicted. The thing about college and higher education in general is what we don't realize is that we don't learn anything that really is related to personal finances and entrepreneurship at all. I certainly didn't. Of course, I went to medical school. So, of course, who's going to teach you about that kind of thing there? But even my friends who completed MBAs know very little about personal finances, investing, entrepreneurship, etc. They know how to be managers. They know how to be people who are employed by entrepreneurs, but they aren't necessarily people who would become entrepreneurs. And the reason for that is it's very difficult to teach that in school without having any real-world experience, because entrepreneurship and investing and all these things that we that I talk about on Wealth Formula are self-taught and they're also learned by taking chances, by essentially the school of hard knocks, as we would call it. And uh, very few people are willing to to do that. So, my story was the classic professional story get good grades, go to college, professional school. Then I finished. Then I went to residency, of course, in medical school. You're not even done after that, four years after college. And I started out in residency. I started out in, as a neurosurgeon. I switched to a head-neck surgeon, and I ended up as a cosmetic surgery fellowship. Um, before you know it, I had seven years on top of my four years of college and four years of medical school. And I was about 33, 34 years old on the date of my graduation from residency. At that point, my chief year in residency in the city of San Francisco, I was making about $50,000 a year. Now, that's not very much, uh, especially if you're living in San Francisco. It's it's uh, probably barely enough to uh, qualify as uh, above the poverty line in, in the city of San Francisco. Um, well. I finished my residency in July of 2008. The next day, I got married. So I got married, and my wife, uh, now of uh, eight years, uh, thought she was marrying an academic. She thought I was going to go on to become a chairman somewhere or do something like a lot of people who were in my position were, you know, get an academic position at a university hospital, etc. But something funny happened where... The, on the day after our wedding, we left for our honeymoon, and at the airport, I picked up a copy of Robert Kiyosaki's Cash Flow Quadrant, and you have to understand, I had no idea what I just picked up. It would just sounded interesting to me. It sounded like something I had no idea about, and this idea of uh, you know financial education, etc., I, I, I didn't really know that there was that much to learn. But it completely blew my mind. And what I realized is that there was this entire other world out there uh, that had essentially been hidden from me. And I finally saw the world through the eyes of an entrepreneur, and it truly changed the course of my life. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to wealthformulabanking.com. Again, that's wealthformulabanking.com. So, obviously, I'm not going to give you you know, the full summary of the cash flow quadrant, but I do want to touch a few things. I I do think it's highly recommended reading. You can find the link to it on the Amazon, uh, the Amazon link to it on wealthformula.com in the resources section. Take a look at that book and all the other books that I recommend there because they are all worth reading. The cash flow quadrant essentially talks about four different types of people in the workforce, four different types of people who earn money. The first is the classic worker bee, the W-2 wage earner, the person who works for someone else and has paycheck every other week or whatever the case may be. And when that paycheck comes, taxes are taken away from that check before you even see the money that you've earned. That is a W-2 wage earner. That's what, um, that's what most, most of us at least started out as. And that's what I started out as. Certainly in my residency, I was, uh, uh, working very, very long hours and worked on a salary for what essentially equated to probably less than minimum wage. And then, uh, the first job I got out of, uh, training, I actually made quite a bit of money for a guy who was just out of training. In fact, one of the things that I noticed is that after my first year, I paid more in taxes than I, I I paid twice as much, three times as much in taxes as I actually even made during my chief year in residency. Ridiculous, but it was true. But the point here is that most people, most professionals are W-2 wage earners and I call them worker bees, not uh, to be uh, not to put anybody down, but in reality, that's what you are when you're a W2 wage earner. You exchange time for money. There's no other way you get paid, and you get taxed at the most maximal level that you can be taxed at. Because the government doesn't see you, the IRS doesn't see you as somebody who is actually necessarily contributing to the growth of the economy. And therefore, you don't get the benefits of some of the other categories. The next step up after the worker bee is the self-employed person. So the self-employed person might call themselves a business owner. But in reality, they're not really a business owner. They're a person who owns a job. Because you know what I'm talking about. The person who has a practice, you might have a law practice, medical practice, whatever it is. But without you, it doesn't run. You own a job. You have to be there. When you're not there, money's not made. Now, it's better than being a W-2 wage earner because you get lots of tax advantages when you're self-employed. For example, you get taxed after you have all of your expenses are completed. So you don't get a paycheck and automatically see that that money's already been removed. You get to look at your profits, and then deduct what are expenses. And part of those expenses might be something called depreciation of various uh, equipment, et cetera, that you may have. And that equipment being depreciated over time creates an invisible expense that the government understands and wants you to have because it helps to grow the economy, and you get to save that money. So being self-employed, has a lot of tax advantages. The problem is you're still exchanging time for money. The next step is the business owner. Now, a true business owner is where, of course, you own a business, but you're no longer relied on in order for that business to run. So you essentially own an asset, and the asset puts money in your pocket, but it does not require your time. So that is truly a business owner. So you could go on vacation for a month, two months, whatever, and the business will be fine. So a true business owner is a little rare to find amongst uh, us professionals, but it exists. And you certainly could work towards creating that opportunity for yourself if you're currently self-employed. The final category that Robert Kiyosaki talks about is the investor. Now, the investor is similar to a business owner in that there's no dependence on your time. In other words, you're not exchanging time for money. And it's also similar in that there are tax advantages. And typically, investors, depending on what they are going to invest in, are going to either pay capital gains taxes or possibly no taxes at all because they've uh, invested in things that are that the IRS wants us to invest in. So our challenge as high W-2 wage earners and professionals is to try to figure out how do we become somebody in the category of a business owner or investor. So that's true for the high W-2 wage earner and the self-employed person. Well, if you're self-employed, you can work toward making your business decreasingly dependent on you. And what that means is, say you're currently a physician, and you are Doctor Smith, and Doctor Smith, uh, and right now your office is called Doctor Smith's Medical Office. Well, you you got to fix that. You got to be, you got to have a brand, right? You got to change your name so it's not dependent on one person, and then you got to hire other people, and then you got to slowly phase it out until. It's not requiring you personally to work there anymore. In fact, I know that you can do this because I did this myself in one of my practices and um, had essentially converted uh, a self-employment situation into a business owner, uh, someone who owned an asset. Now, the other thing about turning your business into something that's not reliant upon you is that you're actually turning your business into something that somebody else might actually want to buy. So if you have a practice, Dr. Smith, and you're about to retire, no one's going to pay you very much money for that. They're going to give you pennies on the dollar for your practice. Whether you're a lawyer or a doctor, it doesn't really matter. No one's going to pay you that much money for that. But if you can prove that your business can make money without you and that somebody can buy that business and basically have those lawyers around and, you know, whoever around, you know, if you're a small business owner, uh, that it doesn't require you anymore. Well, now you're going to have buyers. And when you have buyers for a business, they're going to buy your business for a multiple of your earnings, not pennies on the dollar. In fact, it's going to be some multiple of your profits per year. Now, that's a huge difference. Well, so for a high W-2 wage earner, that's not quite as easy because now you're starting from a position where you're completely dependent on your employer. You don't have the self-employed opportunity. So what do you do then? Well, the easiest thing might simply to be start putting some of those profits that you make, some of that cash that you make from your high W-2 wage earning job into cash flowing investments and gradually grow yourself as an investor. I should point out that it is definitely preferable that those investments be of a tax beneficial category. And that would be, for example, in real estate or in energy such as oil and gas. We can talk about that another time. But the other thing that you could do if you're a high W-2 wage earner is you can actually buy a business. Well, wait, wait, sounds crazy, right? I'm not gonna go buy a business. How can I buy a business if I am a... Uh, if I've got a full-time job, well, here you go. Here's the answer. So I own, um, three apartment buildings. Um, every one of those property buildings has a property manager and I never go there. In fact, in, in, in those buildings, I haven't been to those properties since I purchased them. Now, some people may say I'm crazy, but that's the way you're kind of supposed to do it. You're not supposed to buy a property and then run it yourself. You just, you know, you're just, again, that's a self-employment thing. You're trying to create, buy assets, create businesses, buy assets. So why do I call owning an apartment building a business? Well, what is a business? A business, you have, you know, you have revenue coming in, you have expenses, and you have profit. And the other thing is, if you look at these buildings, some of them are 8,500 years old, especially in the Chicago area where I live. Show me a business that has been cash flowing for 100 years. Well, most of them you're going to find are apartment buildings. You're not going to find too many businesses outside of that. But the, re- the also, other reason I call it a business is effectively you have all of the advantages of being a business owner by simply purchasing real estate, which is not that hard to learn. We'll talk about that more in other episodes, and I, I think you'll see that it's an ongoing Um, it's an ongoing theme for me. And again, I'm talking about not being the guy who buys a house and rehabs it and flips it. That's a lot of hard work. I'm talking about buying a building, putting a property manager in there and collecting money every month without, you know, without doing anything like, you know, toilets, termites, uh, whatever they say about real estate, which I've never experienced because I'm not capable of those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, the key to all of this is that you look at yourself and where you are, and you understand that you want to make a change and do something about it. You, right now, if you only work by exchanging your time for money, you got to really think about that, because you're going to cap out, A, and B, you're working for somebody else who could fire you any day, and you won't be able to do anything about it. The curse of the successful professional is in part that we can't, we have a lot more difficulty with this kind of quote unquote risk taking than those of us who didn't do as well in school. And the reason for that is we had success in high school. We had success in college and we had success in professional school and we got nothing but accolades from our teachers and all of a sudden entrepreneurship or investing, etc., it's about taking risks, and we're not good at taking risks. We're good at doing what everybody tells us to do, and we do it well. Well, that's not what this is. This is about, you know, educating yourself and learning by, you know, taking some chances. So the analogy I like to give here is that uh, that of taking a standardized test. So I have got really good over the years at taking standardized tests. And the way that I did this is by looking at some of my peers who were doing really well. And what, what they were doing is almost even before they started reading the material, they would take a bunch of practice tests and they would, they would learn by seeing what they got wrong and they would read the answers and they would just keep doing that until they got everything almost right. So it sounds crazy, but it is a, it is it is indeed a trial by fire sometimes but the good thing is that you're in a position if you're listening to this podcast and if you're listening to other podcasts and reading books etc to shorten that learning curve by learning from people who've already done it before that's a great uh that's a great advantage for you I certainly credit Robert Kiyosaki and at least the mindset change that I got from him by reading everything he and the rest of the Rich Dad Advisors ever put out. I am forever indebted. And I I want to point out, I don't get paid anything or I, I don't know Robert Kiyosaki. I just really believe that more people right now in the professional world ought to be reading that stuff and trying to figure out how you can implement it into your own life. The other thing is that you really, at the end of the day, just have to figure out how you're going to take action. And really, that starts with education, as we talked about. And in my opinion, I think a good place to start would be to go to my resources page on wealthformula.com and read all those books. I didn't put all the ones I've read on there. There's only like four or five books that I think are particularly important. And I would start out with the cash flow quadrant. For professionals, W-2 wage earners, et cetera, that is going to be the most, that's going to hit home with you more than anything else. And I think it's really important to do that. Look at the other resources I have on the blog as as well. And then get a handle of where you are in life and if if you're really at where you want to be. And if you're not, you've got to take action. You cannot be scared to fail. I cannot tell you enough times that people constantly limit themselves. People who are successful professionals constantly limit themselves Because they're afraid of failure. They're not used to failure, and they don't want to see it for the first time trying to do some business venture. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Well, that's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll see you next time.